Good morning, Samantha. Good morning. My voice is kind of raspy this morning. I thought it's kind of like a little hoarse too. This is the damn snow. Yeah, we got like two and a half feet of snow. That might be dramatic, but it feels like two. No, it does. It feels like it. I think that the weather report said that we got like 22 inches or something the last two days. I'm so over it. Like it's supposed to be spring. I know. I'm so tired of shoveling snow. Not that we need the moisture, whatever. We're <laughs> I'm not allowed to complain anymore though, because it's my first winter back. So I'm and I've been asking for snow. So. I know. And I remember, you know, like three years ago when you when you came back to visit, you were like, Find me snow. I just want snow. You moved she was in Texas. And in Texas, like obviously there's there's not snow. There's ice down there. Very rarely do you guys get snow down there. And she came back and she was like Find me snow. I just want to see snow. Well, girl, welcome home. Yeah, got my welcoming. <laughs> right. So the last episode that we did was on Elisa Lamb, which talked about the Cecil Hotel. And I was completely enthralled with this. Like I, I was super interested in being in Wyoming. We don't get a whole lot of culture. And so we're not exposed to a lot of things that other places are. And so it was really interesting to me, this whole concept of Skid Row and and the Cecil Hotel and what that might look like and be like and and what that whole culture was. So I want to do kind of like a little mini episode that just talks about that. Yeah, about Skid Row and the Cecil Hotel and the kind of history of that area. Well, and there's so much history in the Cecil Hotel. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of notorious people that stayed there that, um, that I think that it's worth, you know, talking about here for a second. Yeah. Welcome to our first mini episode. <laughs> right. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. And this is a suspended sentence. Okay, so Skid Row. So before we talk about the Cecil Hotel, let's set this let's set the scene. Okay? okay. So Skid Row. Super interesting. Skid Row is a neighborhood in downtown Los Angeles. You probably know all of this. Uh, I don't actually know a whole lot about like actually Skid Row. I just know Kind of about the area pertaining to the Cecil. Yeah. But... When you when people say Skid Row, you know what I think of? The song? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 18 and left, you got it. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the greatest rock bands of all time, right? Arguably. Well, As yeah. she rolls her eyes. <laughs> yes, my husband. I have bad taste in music, but I love that song. Uh, I love that song, too. Okay, so Skid Row is a neighborhood in downtown Los Angeles that is often described by some as, quote, one of the densest concentrations of human suffering on the planet. Okay, well, if that statement doesn't grab your attention and go, what, why? I don't know what does, right? Yeah. It's generally accepted as a lawless tent city, a den of druggies, addicts, and people suffering from mental health issues. It's sad. It is sad. It's located in the downtown historic core and Bunker Hill districts. It's officially recognized span is from 3rd Street down to 7th Street, north to south, and Main Street, Talmeda Street, west to east. That means nothing to me. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> its borders are um, rather clearly defined, though, due to the enduring um, neighborhoods that border Skid Row. Little Tokyo is on its north, and heavy industrial complexes are to its east. Okay, but the term Skid Row, do you know where this term comes from? Mm-mm. You don't? Okay, so it goes back to the mid-1800s with the expansion of um, Western railroads. So they would take logs and they would put them on the mud, right? Because there wasn't pavement and nothing was pubbed. They would, put, they would put these logs to make roads oh. so that they could move the logs without getting stuck in the mud and, and all the goop, right? Just to transport them easily. Um, so 
<coughs> sorry, <clears throat> these log roads were called skid roads. As neighborhoods of seasonal workers, immigrant laborers, and primarily single men looking for jobs cropped up along these skid roads, the term morphed into skid row, a neighborhood, an actual neighborhood itself. That's interesting, isn't it? That is interesting. Yeah. Arguably, the longest lasting and most famous is Skid Row in Los Angeles. There are other places throughout the country that call streets and neighborhoods like this Skid Row, but Los Angeles is the most famous, and it's what we, what generally people think of when you say Skid Row. You think L.A. Yeah. Okay, so Skid Row was an area that was first developed in the ni- or 1860s. Oh, wow. Yeah, a long time ago, when railroads um, turned downtown Los Angeles into a major hub. Sometime between the mid-1960s and early seven, or 1970s, Skid Row as we know it came into being. Small hotels were common around Skid Row, um, which housed the seasonal workers and, and um, men that were about to deploy to go overseas. That's where the hubs were that they would leave. And so all these hotels, um, adult bookstores, stuff like that popped up, restaurants, whatever, to service these people. Um, so <clears throat> population was great, but it was a transient community, people in and out, people that were here for a short period of time and then and then would leave, okay? So is it dangerous? Is Skid Row dangerous today? It is, it can be. It's dangerous if you get distracted by it by the reports that I read. Many agree that during the day, the worst that could happen is somebody would try and scam you out of money um, or your belongings or try and sell you drugs. But at night, they say you absolutely should not go there. Um, That's when things get a little rough down there. You especially shouldn't park and leave your car there overnight. People have reported that their car is being broken into. And even people find homeless people. Oh, am I not allowed to say that word? Uh, More politically correct is unhoused at this moment. I don't know. I don't understand the difference between those two words. I think this, I think, is kind of an important thing because that's it's changing the way we view things. Right. So. They, people want to be called unhoused because homeless is kind of got a derogatory like meaning behind it where we're in a housing crisis in America. So they're yeah. unhoused. And so okay. just kind of taking the stigma behind okay, the well, derogatory, it, oh, you're homeless. Okay, well, if that unhoused. word accidentally slips out of my mouth, I'm not meaning anything we're derogatory. Changing, no, we're working on it. We're trying hard not to do that. I said it in the yeah. last episode because we are trying to change a stigma. Right, and I'm not meaning anything bad about it. It's I'm, hard to break it, pattern, or I don't know the correct way Well, to just say that. terminology, especially yeah. in the field that I'm in. Like, that's the term that we use, mm-hmm. and it's, <clears throat> but I don't mean anything don't be offended if it slips out. We do not mean to. We are actively trying not to. We do are that. consciously trying not to do that. Yeah. That's how we change the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, so even though Skid Row has a bad reputation, um, the residents there seem to do the most harm to themselves, not to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have that much drugs and drug influence in a small area and people act, you know, not, I don't want to say normal, but they don't act the way that they typically would, right? Yeah. And it's survival down there. It's literally survival. You know, they they don't have the resources that that a lot of people do. But but the LA city of LA from I watched a ton of documentaries on this, Samantha. Um they they have 
free like housing projects where they don't charge people anything to live in there like they've really tried you know to help these people and to provide resources to them it's a really really dense population of unhoused people like a a lot of, of people down there um and all sorts of people children young people men women veterans i mean it isn't one demographic over the other i think it's not um it's not shocking to anybody that living in California is extremely expensive, mm-hmm. extremely expensive. And so, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, but because of the high density of unhoused people down there, obviously drugs run rapid. There's a lot of drugs down there. I don't know. I don't know why those two go together so well. You know, you would think that... Um, if I had to, like, make an assumption... I'd say it's one of two things. A, to cope with things. Sure. A numbing mechanism to cope. Yeah. Or you're in that situation because you're an addict and you'd rather spend money on that than other things. Right. When you're that deep in addiction, you prioritize your... And that's a fact. That is a fact. So, or or you're, you're unhoused and it's just around and it's like the culture of your environment. Yeah, coping with... I mean, yeah, I can't imagine. Well, so the unhoused population in LA constitutes, this is going to be alarming to you, 70% of the unhoused population in our country. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. There are approximately 550,000 unhoused people in the United States. 70% of those are in California in that area. Wow. Yeah. So, but it ranks fifth in the nation LA and this area ranks fifth in the nation for unhoused people. It's behind DC, New York, Hawaii, and Oregon. Hmm. I've heard that there's a lot of unhoused people in Hawaii. Oregon's kind of surprising. Oregon is surprising to me. Yeah. DC, New York. That makes sense. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Um, so one of the documentaries that I watched, it was actually, I mean, really good. I, I hated the ads that kept popping up. I could watch about five minutes of it before I had to watch a 30-second ad, which was really frustrating to me. But Soft White Underbelly is an independent streaming service um, where they go and interview people on Skid Row and they show videos. And it's really great and really educational program. We'll put a link on our Instagram so that you can watch it if you want to. Um, But it was... And and we'll put some pictures of Skid Row up there too, of, of the streets. But... It was really interesting to, to, to see that and to be educated, I guess, on what, what that's really like. Yeah, it's kind of wild that it's such a condensed, I think it's, I think in my research, it's like a four mile radius between all yeah. of that. So in, like we said, I've lived in Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there is a lot of homeless, but it's like spread oh, out into like a unhoused. unhoused. Um, in like a spread out area of town. So like the east side or the west side, it's not like a four mile radius. Right. It's like a side of town where you may get big clusters like around the, and this is just what it's called, the homeless shelter mm-hmm. um, or around like the free healthcare places or the food bank. You may have a large like amount of people there in those areas. But other than that, it's pretty spread out. So the fact that it's condensed into a four mile radius is yeah 
kind of wild to think it about. is it is kind of wild you know what was also interesting that i loved to see i really did i was impressed with this is it's it really is like i don't want to say it's like a lawless but it's like their own community like their own world and they have a hierarchy and they have a way that things that things work people that are in charge like their own their own system that's completely separate and they take care of each other. Well, this is, have you ever heard of, they call themselves this, the rat people of Las Vegas. Have you ever yeah. heard of that? Uh-huh. They live underneath the strip in the water, uh, yeah. the, like the drainage pipes. Yes. They live down there and they say that like, you don't go down there unless you're invited by the community because mm-hmm. like. They're so protective of it. Yeah. And same thing. It's lots of drugs, lots of things like that, but they take care of like their own, but they do not take to outsiders coming in. But, but in my, in my view, like I don't invite people to my home. Most people don't know where I live. My home is my protection from the world, mm-hmm. right? And, and my kids and my people are not welcome in my home. Not to be like, you're not welcome in my home, but this is our safe place. I don't want people bringing their bullshit into my house, right? right. And it would be the exact same thing. That's their house. Yeah. And they don't want people coming in and feeling judged in their own space, feeling uncomfortable, feeling unsafe, feeling not knowing what their intentions are, not knowing. I mean, that's yeah. that's where they that's just there's their safe place. But it's kind of wild because I watched a documentary on them and it's like anytime it rains because they are the drainage tunnels that yeah. like all of a sudden you'll see like no one has people in Vegas and then they, and then all of a sudden if it starts raining, yeah. they're everywhere because they're that was actually the first time that I had ever heard of that was a couple of years ago when when Las Vegas had all the flooding there because mm-hmm. I didn't even know that that you know that that existed or that that was a thing. Because until... you see some wild stuff on the strip, but really you don't have people like asking for money. You no, don't have like I no. mean, unless for like photos with right. <laughs> I see a few naked people, but yeah, or a lot. Okay, yeah, or a lot. But so it was so it was interesting to kind of get the vibe of like what the environment was like because it really puts into perspective when you were talking about the Cecil Hotel and this huge, elaborate, you know, million dollar, clear back in the day when a million dollars was a lot of money hotel that was like, whoa, that was really like not placed in the appropriate, you know, area for what they were trying to accomplish. They were trying to accomplish something that was really, really high scale and they built it somewhere where there were transient workers coming through. You know, and, and every place has that. We even have it here, you know, where we live, where, you know, people come through and they do work, you know, for example, like on some of the federal contracts of the VA or whatever, where we have workers come through that are here for two or three months just to work and then and then they leave and they stay in the motels or they stay, you know, wherever, you know, you can't, you're not going to sign a lease, a year lease or whatever to stay somewhere. But, but it was really, it was like, why did they build it there? Yeah. Like if that, if they're... If their intention was to to have this high scale it place for celebrities and big time people to go, they did not pick an appropriate place to build well, it. And I just don't think they like really knew because you said it became known as really Skidrow in the seventies. Um, nineteen sixties, seventies, yes, but clear back to eighteen sixty is when you know the railroad and the logging was happening. Yeah, so I know. When they originally built it, because the Cecil was built on December 20th of 1924. Oh, so even, what, 1924? Yeah. Oh, then they knew. But 
it was 14 floors with over 700 rooms that they built for travelers and tourists. They wanted it to be like the high-end place that you wanted to stay for those tra like travelers. So uh -huh. I guess it kind of makes sense if you have all these people, if business people, if like the higher ups, like the managers or the engineers are coming through, maybe they were trying to pull in that customer base instead uh, of yeah. like the bad business idea though man <laughs> like they, they yeah. i i think they missed their mark on what they were trying to accomplish for sure yeah and they put a ton of money man i looked at pictures of the cecil hotel and it's on our instagram this place was fancy yeah it was nice mm -hmm. well you want to jump into some facts about the Cecil now? I do. Now that yeah. we understand the Now that area. we understand the location and what's what's happening outside of it, it kind of puts more into perspective for this. Yeah. So, like I said, they first opened their doors on December 20th of 1924. 700 rooms, 14 floors. So, massive hotel. And if massive. you look at the pictures, it's massive. It's huge. This hotel cost $150 million to complete and uh, had marble lobby, stained glass windows, potted palms, and alabaster statues. $150 million in 1924. Yeah, I'm sure I could convert that. I'm sure that's probably like a billion dollars. Oh, easy. I don't know what the... It's fancy. But I mean, imagine 1920, like, marble. Like, I bet in its prime. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It was... Yeah. So they say that the reason they built it here is there were several similar hotels that had been established um, in the downtown area. But within five years of its opening, the United States sank into the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Although the hotel flourished and as a fashionable destination through the 1940s, the decades beyond that saw the hotel decline. As the nearby area known as Skid Row, um, which like we said is a four mile radius that there's thousands of unhoused people living mm -hmm. in. Um, in 2011, part of the Cecil Hotel was rebranded as the Stay on Main, which is what its current name is as well. Yep. In 2014, the hotel was sold to a New York City hoteler, Richard Bourne, for $30 million. After which, another New York-based firm, Simon Barron, Simon Barron Development, acquired a 99-year ground lease on the property. In February of 2017, the Los Angeles City Council voted to deem the Cecil a historic cultural monument because of its representative, representative of the early 20th century American hotel and the historic significance to the architect. Mm -hmm. So now, I mean, that hotel's going to be there forever. It's yeah national. It's a historic site. Historical site. So... Which is really cool. I love when we like preserve, like make things historical sites and we get to keep those places forever. Even though a lot of like really scary things happen. I still would like to see this place from the outside. Yeah. I don't want to like maybe mosey inside, but I want to see it on the outside. I would like to go in the foyer of it. The pictures yeah. of it are absolutely stunning. Like to be able to see what they were capable of doing. Their, their carpentry skills and building skills were, my God. Yeah. And you don't have to think about that. You don't have power tools. Right. Imagine doing I all know. of that by hand. By hand. Like, their work was exquisite. And how fast, to, like, they would put buildings up is... Phenomenal. Amazing. <laughs> I know. Um, so, some of the history of this building has been covered, um, and that's why we thought it would be interesting to do this. So, we kind of talked about it, in, like we said, the Elisa Lamb. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about the Cecil a lot because that's where 
or she disappeared and ultimately um, passed away. So there is a wide history of violent suicide murder within the walls of this hotel. Um, many of the, many of those stays are from some very well-known criminals. <laughs> Our first documented min oh my gosh I can't say words today. Our first <laughs> documented suicide at the Cecil occurred the evening of January twenty second of nineteen twenty seven when Percy Cook fifty two shot himself in the head while inside the hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child. When was it opened? 1924 so this was just a few years after opening. three years after opening mm -hmm. okay the los angeles times reported that he was rushed to the hospital with a slim chance of survival and death records that reveal that he died that same evening the next reported death occurred in 1931 when guest to wk norton died in his room after taking poison capsules poison capsules that was yeah, a thing i didn't know that was a thing but 1930s i don't know i guess different things oh my gosh yeah I think that's a pretty rough way to probably go oh man now I want to look about that and I want to see because back then there were a lot of women who poisoned women <laughs> women who poisoned their husbands like it was a pretty infamous way of killing people was poison yeah. I thought it was just like you'd go and get some rat poison or some arsenic or what I don't know whatever I don't know. I haven't ever researched it. And I probably, no, I haven't. But, but I actually probably better be careful doing too much research here on. I know. <laughs> I get worried about that sometimes on my laptop. I'm like, I wonder. I'm Googling. I know. The FBI probably I'm has probably like on some like, watch list watch somewhere. List. But that's interesting. Just listen to our podcast. We promise we're not weird. I, well, I don't know about that, but. <laughs> so through the 1940s and the 1950s, more suicides at the Cecil occurred. In 2008, two longtime residents referred to the Cecil as the Suicide Hotel and became a popular nickname on social media years after. Roomspook, a website that tracks hotel deaths, lists at least 13 suicides that have happened at the hotel. So these are, that are reported. Yeah. I don't. Not like very good for publicity to. Be called the Suicide Hotel. Right. So going back again in 1947, Elizabeth Short also known as Black Talia, was rumored to have been drinking at the Cecil bar in the days leading up to her notorious and unsolved murder. So some of the people that were interviewed in her case said, oh, she was at the Cecil bar with a couple Navy men and some of her, like, girlfriends a couple nights mm -hmm. before she disappeared. That's speculated. That's not, like, confirmed. But a lot of people in their interviews with the police did say, oh, yeah, we saw her at the Cecil. Yeah. In 1980s, the hotel was temporary the temporary resident of serial killer richard ramirez also known as the night stalker oh ramirez was a regular presence at, on, in the skin skid row area in los angeles and according to a hotel clerk who has who claims he spoke with him ramirez is rumored to have stayed at the cecil for a few weeks ramirez engaged in most if not all of his killing spree while staying at the cecil he reportedly would strip his bloody clothes in the alley outside of the building before climbing the interior stairs in the into his residence in his blood-stained underwear. Oh. So, read that again. He would strip his clothes. His, his bloody clothes in the alley outside the building. And they have, because you looked at pictures, they have those in the middle of the building. It's kind of like it's two buildings that are connected. They have those interior stairs in the middle. So, they're saying down the alleyway, he would just take off his clothes, climb Well, up to his and room. they also had the fire exits, old school fire exits, where there were actual, like, ladders and, and staircases that go up on the outside of the building, too. Yep. So. 
Ah! Creepy. In 1991, an Aust Austrian serial killer who was arrested was arrested after his stay. Jack Unterweger, I'm sure I said his last name wrong, <laughs> was a magazine writer who was supposed to be on assignment in the red light district. Instead, he murdered three sex workers by strangling them. Upon his arrest, he hung himself in his jail cell. Hmm. There also was a story of a woman that I believe she was a sex worker that somebody had hired to come in so she didn't check in with the with the hotel um she completed suicide by jumping out of the window but when she fell she landed on a pedestrian below killing oh her my well. god um we don't have a name for her she's listed as like a jane doe because oh my god the guy didn't know her the hospital you know the hotel Ooh. in the door, she didn't check in. So there's, I'm sure if I dug even more, I'd find more and more. Oh, 100%. And more. But these are like the most infamous. infamous ones. So the hotel has been dubbed where dreams go to die and others call it a cursed location. Yeah. So not very good publicity. The hotel did become, in 2021, on December 13th, they reopened the hotel because it closed for a little bit between 2017 and 2021 to do remodeling. Like mm -hmm. I said, we had that name changed to the Stay on Main. Um, and from there, they opened as affordable housing complex operated by the Skid Row Housing Trust. The facility is now providing affordable living, living accommodations for 600 low-income residents. Nice. So at least they're trying to make a, make a difference there. Yeah. Well, 600 rooms is a lot. For... And I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, blah, but what else are they going to do? I know. I mean, it's, it's almost like you've got to, you got to adapt to the surroundings and make money where you can. And, and, you know, LA gets a lot of money, um, you know, to provide resources for the unhoused community there. And you're right there. It makes, you know, it makes sense to do that. Yeah. So, so if you were wanting to stay at the Cecil, you cannot, but you can go see the last bookstore, which is on my bucket list, which is across the street. Uh, the and last then, bookstore, is it an adult bookstore? Uh-uh, no. So it's just a regular bookstore, but inside it used to be an old bank. Mm -hmm. And so it still has all of the vaults, and each vault is a different genre of book. Oh, cool. And, like, if you Google it, there's, like, books from the ceiling. There's archways made out of books. Like, it's, Oh, cool pretty remarkable bookstore i it's on my bucket list <laughs> yeah that would be very cool to see we can check that out and then check out the cecil <laughs> i don't know about that but okay well thanks for joining us there's our little mini episode on skid row in the cecil hotel and we'll see you next week awesome bye guys stay safe